0: The Nationals are back home and Walters is the place to be. Swing by before the game for a cold one or come afterwards to catch late night NBA playoffs. Head over to waltersdc.com reservations to secure your reservation for this week.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform Walters is a great option, not only during Nats games, but also to watch Euro 2020 matches.
2: Fetty to the belt. Here's the pitch. Swing a hard ground ball. It's short hop by Mercer. Niftily up into the midsection. The throw to first is in time for the out. A hot smash, and Mercer handles it very well at third. And Eric Fetty has tossed seven shutout innings. That's 20 consecutive scoreless innings for Eric Fetty, the best stretch of his career. Alonso will wind on the line. The edge of the infield grass. Zimmerman doesn't mean anything behind him. Here's the 2 2 from Diaz. The
0: Gomes swung on line drive. Basic.
2: Mets, Gomes with his jersey ripped
0: off. The final score: the Washington Nationals won the New York Mets nothing. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, June nineteenth, two thousand twenty-one. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off, and so I am joined by the producer of the Nats Chat podcast, Tim Shovers, off the biggest win of the national season so far. A 1-0 walk-off win over the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park on Friday night in game one of a four-game series. The Nats now have a season-best five-game winning streak. The Nats now have won seven of nine. The Nats now are 31 and 35. The Nats now are just six games behind the Mets. Tim, I do believe the Nats mojo is rising.
2: The homestand started off five minutes in last week with Scherzer getting hurt. But basically since then, other than a few frustrating moments for the offense, it's been a heck of a ride this past week. These Friday night games, it seems like there's a lot of action and activity on these series openers.
0: It does. We've had the two Kyle Schwarber walk-off homers. You know, it's so funny you bring up the beginning to the homestand now two Friday nights ago because you and I did that podcast and we were like, geez, can anything go well for the Nationals this season? You took us through the curse of the Nationals since they won the 2019 World Series Championship. A much more festive tone to this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. We're going to get to Eric Fetty coming up in just a few minutes because it is awesome what he is doing right now. But we got to start with the bottom of the ninth inning. So for so much of the game, this was another impotent performance by this Nationals lineup. And we'll get to that later on in the show. But the Nats come through big time in the bottom of the ninth of the Mets closer, Edwin Diaz. Juan Soto led things off with a walk to begin things, a leadoff full count, eight pitch walk. Then came, I think, the plate appearance of the game, Ryan Zimmerman, who ended up having two singles on Friday night, the second of which was massive. An opposite field full count single off Diaz in that one run ninth inning, despite having been down in the count at one point, 0-2. So Zim goes from down 0-2 to working the count full, then goes the opposite way with a Diaz slider, and on the play, Juan Soto is running. It was a beautiful hit and run put on by Davey Martinez. And Davey, during his postgame press conference, talked about why he went with the hit and run due to Diaz being so slow to the plate. So he sent Soto in motion. Soto goes from first to third on a single on which you normally wouldn't have gone the two bases, especially a guy like Soto. That was not some you know ball that was laced into like the right field corner or anything like that. But Soto gets the third base. And then Jan Gomes comes up and Jan Gomes delivers the walk-off single in the bottom of the ninth. Gomes, by the way, throwing out two more runners trying to steal on Friday night, gunning down Mason Williams on an attempted steal of second base for the first out in the top of the third, and throwing out Luis Guillorme on an attempted steal of second base for the first out in the top of the fifth. So Gomes now 14 of 34 on runners trying to steal this season. The rally, though, in that bottom of the ninth off the Nats, having done basically nothing the whole game, a beautiful thing to see.
2: Yeah, and and you felt good vibes right away from Soto's walk that he drew, which on a full count, very close play, he and the home plate umpire kind of got into it sort of silently a little bit during that appearance, and you mentioned everything that went well for Zim. And Gomes in the fifth spot, that's very far from ideal. Certainly, if you told me a few months ago that Gomes in the biggest game of the season would be hitting fifth, I would have said uh, things aren't going so well. But you're right, Al. I mean, he is playing like a real veteran right now. I felt confident with him up to bat. And it's almost, other than the uh, the big names in the lineup, there's really no one else I would have rather had in that spot than him.
0: So what did you think of what the Mets did in bringing in Diaz for that ninth inning? It's interesting. I mean, Diaz is the Mets' closer. His numbers the last two seasons are good. His first season, though, with the Mets in 2019 was a disaster. And if you talk to Mets fans, they still don't trust Edwin Diaz, and you certainly saw why <laughs> on Friday night. But Seth Lugo looked pretty good, albeit in a small sample size on Friday night. Lugo's having a very good season. Personally, I can't kill a manager for bringing in his ace reliever in that spot, scoreless game, bite of the ninth, but it clearly did not work out well for the old Metropolitans.
2: Yeah, I was surprised that he brought in Diaz because Lugo looked good, and Lugo you know, was, was going to be fresh for the ninth inning, and then you could save Diaz, potentially, or I guess to say, likely having a lead because of this, the ghost runner rule in the 10th. So you would assume that they're probably going to score in the 10th and then you can put your closer on with the lead. So I was a little bit surprised by that. As you said, it's kind of hard to kill a guy on that because I don't really know the Mets bullpen inside and out.
0: Yeah, and ultimately from a Mets perspective, you lost this game because you didn't score any runs. And speaking of that, Eric Fetty on Friday night. What a job again, seven scoreless innings, On six strikeouts versus two hits, both of which were singles, and four walks, one of which was intentional, on 100 pitches, 61 of which were strikes, Eric Fetty now has thrown 20 consecutive scoreless innings. Eric Fetty, you may recall, got shellacked in his first start of the season. Six runs, five earned in one and two-thirds innings in a 7-6 Nats loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park in game one of a doubleheader all the way back on April 7th. He since then has made nine starts on the season. And remember, you had that like month long gap in which he didn't make a start because he got COVID-19 despite having been vaccinated and he ended up missing about a month because of that. Thank you, MLB protocols. But anyway, Fetty over his last nine starts now, incredibly, has an ERA of 254. Like it's one thing to note his ERA for the season, which is 333 over 10 starts, and that's certainly good. But the thing to me to highlight is the 2.54 ERA over his last nine starts, 20 consecutive scoreless innings now, like I noted. It's one thing to do this against the Diamondbacks, but now you look at what Fetty's been doing here lately, his last outing coming against the best team in the National League this season and the San Francisco Giants. And a Giants team, by the way, that overall does have good offensive numbers. And now doing as he did Friday night against the first-place New York Mets. Is it time, Tim, and I know you tweeted this out on our official Twitter handle for the Nats Chat Podcast. Is it time to say that Eric Fetty is a good Major League starting pitcher?
2: I think it is, Al. I think we've seen enough. And I think the most important thing for Eric Fetty is to not face the Atlanta Braves. Those are are, are his two worst starts of the season. Otherwise, he had a mediocre one against the Mets in April in New York. He had a so-so start against the Phillies in D.C. in May. But other than that, he has been lights out in his other performances. And... Against New York, I mean, at no point in time did I think the Mets were going to score a run tonight. He had complete control of the game, innings one through seven, all 100 pitches, except for that one jam that he then artfully worked his way out of. I look forward now to Eric Fetty's starts. Not only is he pitching well, Al, but he's not five and dive. He's giving you six. He's giving you seven. He's pitching 90-plus outings, and there's not. I don't think you can ask too much more from him than that.
0: A-B-B, anyone but the Braves for Eric Fetty, and you're in good shape this season. What I thought was really interesting about his outing on Friday night is he did put guys on base, and he routinely put like the leadoff guy on base, if not the second guy batting in the inning on base, but was able to constantly escape unscathed. Eric Fetty tossed scoreless second and third innings, despite issuing a leadoff walk in each inning. He tossed a scoreless top of the fourth, despite giving up a one-out single to Dominic Smith. Uh, despite Smith having been down to the count at one point, by the way, O two. Fetty tossed a scoreless top of the fifth, despite giving up a leadoff single to Luis Guillorme. Fetty toss a scoreless top of the seventh, despite issuing a leadoff five-pitch walk of Dominic Smith. Walks usually doom pitchers, and that's actually been a key to the Nationals' incredible run of pitching success, over these last uh, what I don't know a week and a half uh, batch of games, whatever it is now. I mean, you go back to the four game split with the Giants, a three game sweep of the Pirates, and now this game one of the Mets, and that starting pitching and pitching overall lately has been outstanding. But one thing the Nats have really done a good job of during that stretch is avoiding the walk. Fetty actually didn't avoid the walk that much on Friday night, but he was able to constantly work his way out of jams. He's becoming more of a strikeout pitcher, like you said. He's going deeper into games. And, you know, I think about this from not just a short-term perspective of this season. Max Scherzer on the 10-day injured list, even Strasburg on the 10-day IL. Patrick Corbin, we still can't count on it. But the bigger picture here, Tim, Max is going in a free agency. You don't know where you're going to be at long-term with Strasburg from a health standpoint. Like, even if he gets well this season, hopefully he does, you can't count on him to make 30 starts season in and season out. His history screams that you can't. We'll see what Corbin's season ends up being. But no one feels great right now about his situation. If Eric Fetty is finally blossoming into the pitcher he was drafted to be all the way back in 2014, I mean, seven years ago, what was going on in your life in 2014? Nats took Eric Fetty with the 18th overall pick in that 2014 MLB draft. A lot has happened with him in his professional baseball career, but if he's finally coming into his own now and is becoming a staple in the Nats rotation, you really can't say enough good things about that. That is a really... Big, significant, and positive development for the Nets.
2: I'll take it one step further, and if you've heard me on this podcast before, you know how much I value pitching. I think it all starts from starting pitching and then trickles down, and Mike Rizzo tends to agree. I kind of feel like the two most important players on the roster right now are Eric Fetty and Joe Ross. They're almost the linchpin of of this team, which puts them either in contention or otherwise they could be 10, 11 games out if, if they weren't pitching well. So, you know, you talk about, looking towards the future, and Max Scherzer in his last year, and Strasbourg cannot stay healthy at all. I mean, these are the reserves that the Nationals fans have been begging for, for the arms, and oh, by the way, Kay Cavalli, it's looking very, very, very possible that he's on the roster in the calendar year of 2022, so this is a very positive development.
0: It's crazy, man, because for so long, Fetty versus Ross versus Austin Voth every year battle for the fifth spot in the Nats' rotation, and it became almost a punchline. And to me, it was a real indictment of the Nationals' lack of starting pitching depth. That every year it was these same three guys fighting for the number five spot. But here you are this season, and two thirds of those guys seem to be coming into their own as starting pitchers, especially Fetty. You know, Ross, I think there's still questions with, but. Ross, you know, at times he looks great, like we've discussed, at times he he doesn't look so good. But there's enough there with Ross to make you keep saying to yourself, all right, let's see what he does next time. And then Voth, we know, has done a good job as a reliever. And it was good to see Austin Voth, by the way, be activated off the 10-day injured list on Friday off that nasty-looking broken nose. But that's a good point. Like, we haven't felt great about the Nationals' ability to develop starting pitching in recent years. And we haven't had reason to feel great about that. But in like a blink of an eye here, if Fetty is becoming who he was drafted to be, If Ross can just be a decent starting pitcher, I don't think anyone expects Joe Ross to be an ace, but if he can be a competent number five, maybe even number four, and if Cavalli is legit, and boy, does he look legit so far, and we'll update you on the latest on Cade Cavalli coming up in moments, that does change the trajectory here of how we talk about the Nationals and where they're at with the arms. And, you know, all of a sudden you're like, hey, it's actually not that bad when it comes to the Nationals starting pitching. Fetty, though, is the guy that makes it go because If Fetty is becoming, you know, I don't want to say an ace, but if Fetty is becoming a really good pitcher, like a a good number three, let's say, okay, which I think anyone would sign up and take at this point, that is a major development for the Nationals.
2: Yeah, potentially season changing. If they get over 500 in a month from now around the All-Star break, we're legitimately talking about the Nats having a chance to overtake New York for first place. I can't imagine a scenario in which Eric Fetty isn't a prominent part of that.
0: I want to point something out too about Fetty and the extent to which he's become more of a strikeout pitcher this season. This really is ridiculous, but take a listen to this. So Eric Fetty in the truncated 2020 season threw 50 and a third innings. He now in this 2021 season has thrown 51 and a third innings. So essentially the same amount of innings, one more inning so far this year. Eric Fetty last year, 28 strikeouts. Eric Fetty this year now, 49 strikeouts. You know, this is a strikeout-heavy era in baseball, but the fact that Fetty had not been a strikeouts pitcher, there was always something that bothered me about him. Like, geez, everyone is getting strikeouts all over the place, and this guy can't. What does that say? Well, he's changed that so far this season, and that's significant. He's becoming a miss bats guy, which is huge. Uh, Can't say enough about the job that Eric Fetty did on Friday night and continues to do. And remember, these last two starts come off a month-long absence that – was no fault of his own. He got COVID despite getting vaccinated. And then it took him forever to make a rehab start for the high Wilmington Blue Rocks due to the first two attempts at the rehab start being postponed due to rain. All right. So we have all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth base is loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. You heard that right. New user's Get up to $1,000 back in side credit if your first bet doesn't win. And it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in side credit each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code chat. And games on Saturday night include the Dodgers at Arizona at 1010. Walker Bueller is starting for Los Angeles. He is an ERA of 238 on the season. He's been the Dodgers' best starting pitcher. He's opposing Matt Peacock who has an ERA of 526, has been thrust into the Diamondbacks rotation due to injuries. The Dodgers are very good. The Diamondbacks have the worst record in baseball. LA, quite clearly, is the play.
2: Twenty one plus and present in present, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on real money wager only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem, call one hundred five two two four seven hundred in Colorado. 800 bets off in Iowa. One hundred nine with it in Indiana. one for confidential help in Michigan. One hundred gambler in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. By saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com/slash/BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: The Nats bullpen delivered too on Friday night. We should not lose sight of that. The Mets bullpen fell on its face in the form of Edwin Diaz. The Nats bullpen, though, did not. Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the eighth. Brad Hand, a perfect top of the ninth on six pitches. I asked you earlier if it's safe now to call Eric Fetty a good starting pitcher. Is it safe now to call Brad Hand a very good and reliable closer slash ace reliever for the Nationals?
2: I think so. I comfortably say that he is someone you you want on the mound in the ninth inning. I thought he looked really good. He looked really in control. You felt confident that the Nats were going to come up and have a chance to walk it off in the ninth with him up there. Those bad outings that he had in New York, and was it Wrigley in which he struggled as well right after that? That seems like a long time ago. It's been over a month, and he's been really reliable since then. And I'll tell you what, Al, we were wondering if Eric Fetty is good. Kyle Finnegan, I don't think I'm ready to use the G word, but I like what I'm seeing out of Kyle Finnegan stepping up for Daniel Hudson. Now I look forward to Daniel Hudson resuming that role, but I think he's done an admirable job uh, since Hudson went on the I.L.
0: I agree. Finnegan is someone, and I think this does speak to something that the Nats we thought had early in the season, we questioned a few weeks ago, and now we're kind of back to thinking is the case, and that is bullpen depth. That the Nats bullpen has done well despite Hudson being out, I think speaks to the Nationals having more bullpen depth than at any point in recent memory. I mean, you know, it's not just been that the Nationals have had bad bullpens and that Mike Rizzo has constantly had to make these in season trades for bullpen fortification. It's also that it's always been like, I don't know, maybe two guys you liked or three guys you liked, but you never felt great about all of them. And I don't know that you feel great about everyone in this Nationals bullpen this season, but you feel good about more than a few. And the fact that Hudson's been out here for a decent chunk of time at this point and the Nationals bullpen is surging, I think speaks to that depth, you know, with guys like Finnegan and McGowan and, you know, Suero, and we've seen Sam Clay be better lately and Tanner Rainey. Has been better lately and hand has been so much better lately. You know, going back to hand, his ERA now for the season is down to 286. That's an acceptable ERA for sure for your back end of the bullpen guy. And if you take out those few clunkers he had, the ERA obviously is even better. So, very good to see Brad hand doing as he's doing. And that was some top of the ninth, a perfect inning on six pitches, five of which were strikes. I mean, that's about as efficient as you can be. So, a lot to like with this Nationals win on Friday night. We should though point out. Up until the bottom of the ninth, the offense was, again, atrocious, okay? I mean, there are no two ways about it here. Nats, for the game, end up only scoring the one run, finished with seven hits, all of which were singles. Nats worked three walks, went one for three with runners in scoring position. The Mets starter on Friday night was Joey Lucchese, who, in case you're unfamiliar with him, came into the game with an ERA of 518 and an ERA plus of 75 over 33 innings this season. He ended up tossing five into third scoreless innings with five strikeouts. This is another instance here of the National struggling against a mediocre to bad starting pitcher. It's not just the Jacob DeGroms and the Brandon Woodruffs who've dominated the Nats so far this year. It's guys like Joey Lucchese who have been struggling and then those guys face the Nats. And all of a sudden, those guys look like Walter Johnson. And we saw that for so much of this game. I mean, if you watch the game on Masson, Bob Carpenter – and uh, Justin Maxwell, were joking about this, how when Casey got pulled from the game, the Nationals should be happy about that. And I mean, I'm, I'm hearing that and I'm like, that's true. But that's pretty sad that that's true. Again, the guy had an ERA of over five coming into the game and you're happy he's out of the game. Uh, and that's him to a bunch of double plays, too. So until that bottom of the ninth, it was another frustrating evening for the Nationals offensively.
2: Yeah, I have nothing fresh to say on the offense. You and you and Mark cover it every day. I will say this, and you guys alluded to this last week, and I understand why it didn't happen against Pittsburgh because you throw in Starlin Castro leaving the team briefly and they've had to call up Luis Garcia. And it won't happen this weekend. They've got to find a way to give Turner a day off. He had another tough night at the plate, a lot of guys left on base, hit into that double play with the bases loaded that I think it was a five U three double play and he was out by a significant margin. I know he's so valuable, and, and there's a reason why they have him in there every day. But do you agree with me that it's just so clear that he could so use a day off? Maybe that Wednesday game in the, uh, coming up next week against Philly, somehow give him a day off here to breathe.
0: So I brought this up a few episodes ago. I thought Davies should have considered giving Turner the day off on Wednesday, that final game against the Pirates. The Pirates are terrible you can afford to go one game against Pittsburgh without Trey Turner. He then would have had two consecutive days off, and maybe that would have done him some good. But he's not himself right now. Maybe it's not fatigue. I mean, I I don't know. But something is off with him. His numbers for the season have plummeted over the last few weeks. He's not hitting for any power whatsoever. You mentioned that double play on Friday night. A killer first pitch 5-3 double play With the bases loaded, one out, and the game scoreless in the bottom of the third. And yes, another instance of the Nationals failing with the bases loaded. You also had Ryan Zimmerman hitting into a very bad double play. I mean, Zim ends up being a hero because, again, that plate appearance by him in the bottom of the ninth was superb. But Zim grounded into a really bad 5-4-3 double play on a 3-1 pitch, by the way, with runners on first and second, one out, and the game scoreless in the bottom of the sixth inning. I mean, you know, we've gotten into the poor roster construction and the lack of depth on the position player side of things. I think that's a big reason for why Trey Turner isn't sitting. But if a day off is going to do him some good, then get him the day off. Because the truth is, right now, offensively, he's really not doing you that much good. He hasn't hit a homer in forever. He's hitting into double plays. He's not stealing bases. You know, some of that's circumstantial. But like, when's the last time Trey Turner stole a base? You know, he has zero stolen bases on this homestand, which is, tracking toward being an 11-game homestand. Like, so the Trey Turner we know we have not seen on display here recently. He's a very important player for the Nationals. We know he's better than this. Got to get him back on track. It's worth saying this, too, with the Mets. They are an elite team this season when it comes to run prevention. So this is not a great matchup for this Nationals lineup. Mets came into the series number one in the majors in fielding independent pitching at 321. Fielding independent pitching, FIP, is an ERA-like number that basically measures that which a pitcher truly controls. So strikeouts, walks, home runs allowed, hit by pitches, that kind of a thing. It takes out the very of the batted ball. Mets number one in the majors in FIP coming into the series. And the Mets uh, entered the series as well, tied for third in the majors in defensive run saved at plus 32. Nats fifth in the majors in defensive run saved coming into the series. So two very good defensive teams on display at Nationals Park here uh, this weekend. But yeah, uh, Turner with the double play, Zim with the double play, Josh Harrison Went over three in the game. How'd you like that Victor Robles bunt in, in the bottom of the eighth? That leadoff first pitch ground out of a bunt that I think was like a one hopper right to first base. Is that a, like one of the worst bunts you'll ever see? Yeah, was he
2: playing pepper? I mean, well,
0: that, <laughs> I know. That, that was rough, but uh, I like
2: the ingenuity of it. I like when Robles does it, especially when he's struggling and trying to switch it up, but it, it could not have gone worse. I do have to ask you about offense. To the other side, New York. Looking at this New York lineup tonight, zero guys had a three in front of their average. All of them well below 300. I know they have the pitching. They obviously have DeGrom and they have Stroman. And and you mentioned all the defensive metrics as to why they're in first place. But this team seems really beatable and gettable. Did you feel the same way after watching them tonight?
0: Yeah, so the Mets have had a lot of injuries this season, but they've also had some real underperformance offensively. There's no question about that. I mean, Francisco Lindor... He's been better lately, but he's not done very well so far. Even with Trey Turner's recent struggles, if you do the compare and contrast of Turner versus Lindor this season, it's not even close. Uh, He's not had a very good season so far. Dominic Smith, who's a good hitter, has not had a very good season so far offensively. I do think the Mets, when they're right and healthy, have one of the deeper lineups in baseball, but we have not seen that so far this season. The Mets have had the success they've had on the back of run prevention, on the back of a very good defense, and on the back of a pitching staff that overall has been good. And of course, Jacob deGrom has been great. But that is the thing about this series. And that is encouraging with this series. The Mets are not throwing deGrom in this series. The Mets also aren't throwing Marcus Stroman in this series. The only starting pitcher who's having a very good season who the Nats are slated to face in this series is Taiwan Walker. And that's not until the Sunday game. So you're catching the Mets in a really good spot here from a standpoint of you're missing the Mets top two starting pitchers. And, you know, the Mets, like the rest of the teams in this National League East, they don't scare you. Like there are things to respect about the Mets, but they don't frighten you. The division really has been underwhelming in that way. This division is there for the taking. And maybe just maybe the Nats can do that. I mean, it's going to be hard with the state of this offense. But if the pitching continues to be as it's been recently, if the defense continues to be as it's been stunningly throughout this season, I don't see why the Nats can't at least make a legitimate charge at winning the National League East.
2: I'm right there with you because I I look at the Mets and I I see a team that's got a lot of holes. I was very encouraged kind of watching him up close and personal tonight.
0: There's also in New York a saying, same old Mets, there is a dark cloud that perpetually hovers over the Metropolitans and inevitably something goes wrong, very wrong for the Mets over the course of a season. So if you believe in the karmic juju in a negative way, that is working against the Mets and potentially in favor of the Nationals this season. Some roster moves by the Nats on Friday. They did put Andrew Stevenson on the 10-day injured list, retroactive to June 17th with an oblique strain. So that's notable. We haven't seen much of Stevenson lately. Now we have a better idea as to why. The Nats, as mentioned, did reinstate Austin Voth from the 10-day injured list. He'd been on that since June 8th, uh, retroactively June 7th, due to that nasty fractured nose that was suffered in that 12-6 loss at the Phillies on June 6th on that uh, hit-by-pitch. Remember, he got hit in the face and on the batting helmet by that pitch from Vince Velasquez on an attempted bunt. And uh, the Nats did option Ryan Harper to AAA Rochester. Now it's notable, uh, Luis Garcia remains on the roster for now. It sounds like that could change as the weekend goes on because the Nats are lacking in backup uh, outfielders at this point, And they sort of have an abundance now of backup infielders. So I would not be stunned if Yadiel Hernandez is called up uh, some point soon here. But something to keep in mind with where the Nats are from a roster perspective. So we have another doubleheader on Saturday. This is becoming a uh, weekly tradition here for the Nationals. In the 2021 season, game one 105, game two 605. The Nats two starting pitchers on Saturday, John Lester and Joe Ross. And each guy is coming off a really good outing, you know, relatively speaking. Nats pitching has been so good here lately. We last saw Lester in the 3 2 win over Pittsburgh at Nationals Park on Monday night. Two runs in five into third innings, with which, with where Lester is at at this point in his career, you take. And then Joe Ross, like we always say, sometimes great, sometimes bad, sometimes great and bad in the same outing, but never better this season or in his career, I think, than he was in his last start. Last Sunday afternoon, the 5-0 win over the Giants at Nationals Park. Eight scoreless innings on nine strikeouts. I mean, on the one hand, I don't think anyone would be stunned if either guy struggled on Saturday. But Tim, on the other hand, with the way the Nats are going right now and You know, the Mets, like you just outlined, don't frighten you offensively. No reason why Lester and Ross can't be good again on Saturday.
2: What was the phrase you used last week? Joe Ross, spin the wheel, make the deal. What was it you said? Yes. Yeah. Spin the wheel, make the deal
0: with Joe Ross.
2: Yeah. He's coming off his career best outing. I'm really intrigued to watch him go up tomorrow. And obviously Lester, this feels like kind of a perfect spot for John Lester. You know, the crafty veteran. He stepped up when he had to go on three days rest. It just kind of feels like they're going to need him to eat up innings, even in a seven-inning scenario. And I'm looking forward to him sort of in this role. And you talked about the outfielders. I can see Yadiel Hernandez getting called up tomorrow as the as 27th man, especially now that Jeffrey Rodriguez is still on the roster. So they have their built-in long man for the doubleheader.
0: Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Uh, it's, uh, it's crazy how these things go. Look, the Nationals have not been a great team so far this season. To me, the big question with the Nats this season has been, Are the Nats a good team that got off to a bad start, or are the Nats just a bad team, or at the very least, a mediocre team? Well, this series, as we said going into it, is going to tell us a lot. Keep in mind, too, after this series, the Nats schedule is quite difficult uh, over the course of the remainder of the pre-All-Star break portion of the Nats season. You have a four-game series at the Miami Marlins coming up June 24th through June 27th. But beyond that, a lot of good teams on the schedule. Uh, Phillies, Mets, Rays, Dodgers, Padres, Giants. So we're going to find out between now and the All-Star break, are the Nats legit, are they true player-players in this season? A very good start, though, to this big four-game series on Friday night. Now, also on Friday night, the double-A debut of the Nationals' top prospect, uh, One of the top pitching prospects in baseball right now, Cade Cavalli, A Harrisburg, six innings, two runs allowed. So two runs and six innings for Cade Cavalli for the A Harrisburg Senators. He gave up three hits, issued four walks, did record six strikeouts. Look, with Cavalli, I think there's a chance we see him at the major league level this season. Now, he's got to earn it, obviously. But he was so good for the high A Wilmington Blue Rocks, 177 ERA, 0885 WHIP. 71 strikeouts versus 12 walks, over seven starts, 40 and two-thirds innings. We know how these things go with prospects. I know you mentioned Cavalli for 2022. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen in 2021, but are you with me from a standpoint of we could see Cade Cavalli in 2021?
2: Al, let me lay out for you a scenario that I I have in my head as to how and why we would see Cavalli in September of 2021, and let me know if you're with me on this one. Let's say it's September. The Nets are in the hunt. You're the ownership group of the Washington Nationals and you're let's remove all the tragedy involved in the pandemic. You're still stuck in your crawl that you didn't get the traditional World Series victory lap that every single other defending champion has had in the history of the sport. You missed out on the 2020 victory lap after the World Series. You desperately want to get back into the playoffs and reignite and restoke the October flames from a few years earlier. Obviously, we know how competitive of a marketplace for the entertainment dollar Washington, D.C. is. If I'm the ownership group and Cavalli's carving up, whether it's in Rochester or Harrisburg, and they got a shot to make the playoffs and they got two weeks to go, and you think he can be an Andrew Miller out of the pen or you think he can be someone you could start for six innings,
0: that seems pretty intriguing to me. 100%. 100%. I've said it. I will continue to say it. Top prospects always come up sooner than people think. So whatever you think the timeline is, expedite it. Cavalli is a top prospect for now. He's got to keep it up. Okay, no one's saying this is definite. But if he keeps it up, there's no reason we can't see him come September if the Nationals are in contention. You tell us what you think. See all these positive vibes off this great walk-off victory for the Nats on Friday night. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. Com. We do want to thank all of you who have written us in recent days uh, praising the interview we did with Bob Kendrick. Bob was awesome. That's a credit to Bob, that interview, not to us. Trust me on that. But uh, Bob Kendrick, having him on the most recent installment of the Nats Chat podcast. So the episode just prior to this one uh, was a real honor. Bob Kendrick is the president of the Negro League's Baseball Museum in Kansas City. We talked a ton about the Homestead Grays and Josh Gibson and obviously the rich baseball history when it comes to the Negro Leagues in Washington, D.C. You know, I know not everyone is into baseball history, but if you are, especially if you're into the history of baseball in the nation's capital, would highly encourage you to check out our chat with Bob Kendrick on the previous installment of the Nats Chat podcast. Also, uh, if you have the time, and this doesn't take too much time, if you would consider subscribing to the Nats Chat podcast and also uh, giving the pod a five-star rating, and just writing like a one-sentence review. It's very simple. It takes like 30 seconds, and it helps out uh, the podcast a lot. Well, three more games against the Mets this weekend at Nationals Park. A perfect time to bust out your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Get yours, natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Showvers, I'm Al Galdi. We're going to talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. But in the meantime, we're going to leave you with a classic. And if you're a longtime Nationals fan, you will appreciate this. The song, We Are the Washington Nationals by Blessed Union of Souls. This was a song that had a short shelf life. It debuted at National Spring Training in 2005. I'll let you decide your thoughts on the song, but we're going to start a tradition here on the Nats Chat Podcast. When the Nationals have at least a five-game winning streak, we get the playing of We Are the Washington Nationals by Blessed Union of Souls. The Nats have earned the playing of the song by way of the five-game winning streak that was certified with the great 1-0 walk-off win on Friday night. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.